What's your name, scumbag? Jesse Spector is... Ovechkin, Alex, is that his name? Harry Carey. Wayne Gretzky! Moses! No! No! Please, please, don't make a fuss. Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. You're right to me. Welcome to the Wendell Clark Show. I'm Jesse Spector, filling in for Wendell Clark, who is on assignment, lending his name to a chain of bar and grills in Canada. Uh, they have locations in Brampton, Burlington, Saskatoon, and Oshawa. Not anymore in Hamilton. That one closed last year. The uh, the Saskatoon location, though, just very recently, last week, a uh, subject of um, the silliest news story that I've I've seen in a while. Um, this was actually picked up by CTV in Canada. The welcome mat with the Wendell Clark's Bar and Grill logo was stolen from the Saskatoon restaurant um, and they were able to get it back after pleading with people on social media. It had wound up in Alberta um, and and they are getting it returned at least as of last week. It was supposed to be back this past Tuesday. No further updates however from CTV on that. Uh, in the meantime we do have somebody here who has been to a Wendell Clark's location. In fact uh, the, the closed one in Hamilton, so we'll we'll ask all about that. It's Jeff Fayette from FaceOffCircle.ca. Jeff, how are you doing today? Fantastic. And yeah, I've been to that Hamilton one. There was actually one a little bit closer to Toronto, too, but that one also closed down. Um, I mean, it was the, the Hamilton one was fine. I was there for a, for a football game, uh, and my cousin and I were walking around looking for somewhere for lunch, and I was like, oh, there's a Wendell Clark's. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's, uh, the, the story about the about the stolen mats pretty great especially the fact that it ended up in another province but uh but yeah i'm excited to be on all right well what was the uh it's now a steel town smoke is is the new restaurant in that location according to the hamilton spectator this is very important information for anybody who's planning a trip to uh hamilton ontario of course if you want to see the tiger cats who are not in season right now um or see What's the what's the team in Ham? Is there a team in Hamilton now? There's um they have the Bulldogs, which is an OHL team, and uh, they have the I think it's the Forge, who are a Canadian Premier uh, League soccer team. Uh, I was there for the Tie Cats when I went. Okay. They they did have. I'm not crazy that the Bulldogs were in the AHL, and now they are not. They moved. Yeah, yeah it's it's complicated. Basically, Basically they the Rocket. By affiliation, yes, uh, they moved to. But in terms of the actual like logistics, they moved to Belleville to become the Belleville Senators, and the Belleville Bulls moved to Hamilton to become the OHL Hamilton Bulldogs. Okay, well, I'm glad that we have that squared away now. That all seems uh, better and more exciting than talking about the current state of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are uh, heading into the All Star break, um, not in a playoff position, which is. Stunning. Um, what 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 is going on? Because I thought everything was squared away once they fired Mike Babcock and uh, made Sheldon Keith the head coach. Um, well, I mean, process-wise, things still kind of. Well, I'm not going to say kind of. They do still look good since the coaching change. I think they're something like 15, seven, and three, uh, which is a strong record. It's a 108 point pace. Uh, the issue, of course, is that half of those losses have come in the last six games. Uh, but I, I made a point of this uh, yesterday because the, one of our local radio stations was talking about 
um, how they need to start playing the right way to to win games. The right way, of course, being um, not their strengths. Uh, that kind of tight defensive hockey that got them into the mess in the first place. Uh, but when you look at what's happened in these last six games, they've outshot their opponents by, I think, a total of 25-26. Uh, they've got an expected goal share of 56 or so percent. That's top five in the league in that stretch. The issue is they aren't getting saves. Uh, Frederick Anderson has been pretty weak the last uh, couple of weeks, and he's a guy that no one really wants to uh, assert any blame to because of how, how good he's been for the team uh, over the past several years. He's kind of been the rock in between the pipes playing 60-plus games a, a year and producing um, some very good results. But if we're being honest about the last couple of weeks, it hasn't looked good. Like that game against Chicago where uh, I think it was a 6-2 loss or a 7-2 loss, uh, there was a lot of racing to give blame to certain players for every single goal. But at a certain point, you want your elite goaltender to be able to make uh, a save that's not uh, at the... Uh, at, at the replacement level, so to speak. Uh, so that's what it is right now. I mean, we're, we're going to see lots of talk about uh, how uh, their hockey should be played. It's going to be a referendum on the sport until they start winning some games because that's how Toronto media goes. Uh, but right now they're just struggling of getting keeping pucks out of the net. I would think that keeping pucks out of the net also is a struggle when you are without Jake Muzzin and Maureen Riley for an extended period of time. Yeah, that definitely makes a difference. I'm uh, actually really interested in what happens with Muzzin for the, in, for the next few days. Uh, the Leafs just announced that he's going to be doing a conditioning stint uh, with the Marlies. So it, it, you don't often see guys who are at that level uh, playing uh, those conditioning stints. So that's going to be a lot of fun watching who's a guy who's arguably been Toronto's best defenseman this year play American League games for a week. Will he, uh, will he make sure his foot is in check? Is there anything that they can do, though, uh, to solve the, the problems that they have as far as the trade deadline goes? Or is, is their cap situation just such that it's just like, well, this is what we got. Uh, kind of got to, you know, deal with this here, what, what we have. The cap situation definitely makes it tough. At the same time, the question is, what exactly are you looking to address? Like, people will eat, eat, will be quick to point to uh, their defensive corps uh, because that's been the trend in Toronto to say that, oh, the team is weak defensively. And for a lot of time, that was true. Uh but they, ha- they have addressed uh, things over the past year or so. The Muzzin trade was o- about a year ago. That gave them uh, a, basically a top-pairing defenseman. Uh, the Nazem Kadri for Tyson Berry trade obviously is a little bit controversial here, but Berry's given them very strong underlying results, and he's given them uh, a right-handed shot who can play uh, big minutes. When you kind of go through this lineup, the real only weak link is Cody Cece, who is uh, much maligned in the analytics community, and for understandable reasons. But at the same time, uh, if he's your number six defenseman, that's probably not terrible. Uh, you you can do a lot worse. The issue with him is having him as a two rather than uh, a six, and what the two thing was what was happening in Ottawa and here to start the year. Uh, you can look at goaltending, and that's a concern right now, as it as just mentioned, but you expect that Anderson is likely to not continue playing at the absolute worst he has in his entire career. You expect similar from Michael Hutchinson, who does look like he's been turning a corner over his last couple of starts. He's had a, I think, a 945 save percentage in his last three starts. 
uh, that gives you some hope that maybe he ends up being that kind of replace, even just replacement level goaltender uh, as a backup. I think that's all the Leafs are looking for uh, out of their league minimum backup. There's a lot of talk about uh, Alexander Georgiev over in uh, New York as a potential option there, but as that cost keeps getting higher and higher among the the Twitter sphere, uh, it seems less and less likely. Like not even from a cap perspective, just from a uh, perceived value perspective. He went from someone who they were talking about, okay, well maybe Toronto trades one of their many forward prospects on the Marlies for him to, oh, well we want Kasperi Kapanen or Andreas Janssen or like an established young top six forward, which would be completely unprecedented in the in the NHL trade market. So really I think the issue of Toronto is you don't really know what uh, they would be looking for at at this deadline. Their offense is obviously loaded. Their their defense, while you would hope that they would be more successful, they're on paper there doesn't seem to be any any alarming person to replace. And if there is, you might even be able to do that internally uh, through calling up Erasmus Sandin or a Timothy Lilligren. And with goaltending, it's the same issue as every other contender has, where. You kind of have your guys, and you have your starter who you trust, and if it doesn't work, then you're in big trouble, but it's not something that you have to make a huge leap of faith and add another piece, uh, because if you're relying on your backup already, you're in trouble, and if you're going to grab another starter caliber goal, Anderson, what's the point of having uh, a guy that's you're looking to play 60, 65 games, uh, and, and by that accord... Uh, what's the point of grabbing that starter caliber backup if he's only going to play 15 or 20? It's a it's a very awkward deadline for them to not that, that none of that is to say uh, that they are the best team in the league or they're a perfect team or that they can't improve. It's just uh, what's the pathway to improvement for them? Uh, there's not a it's less of a clear blind spot and more of a you want to incrementally improve all the pieces of this team. And I don't know if there's an easy pathway to that, even and especially at the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, they, it seems fairly clear when they've scored the fourth most goals and allowed the fourth most goals in the NHL, you know, what, what the issue is. And I think that the other question that has to come with that is that even if you do, you know, make some changes at the deadline, is it enough to, to get that defense to where it needs to be? And I don't want to make the the claim that like you can't win with an offensive based team in the playoffs. You need to score goals, but you also do need to have a tighter defense than this. I don't necessarily agree with the idea that it needs to be a tighter defense, but it needs to be serving a purpose more. Uh, with the Leafs, assert the the purpose that they seem to be looking at is using uh, their defensive group as more of a counter attacking group than one that suffocates on the uh, on the way back. And I think. That's a that's a big question and uh, debate that we're going to have about the defensive game, not just in Toronto, but in general within the sport over the next few years. And that's what exactly are we sending these guys out to do? Uh, the entire concept of defense, when you think about it, is is basically crisis management. It means you've already made a mistake somewhere else, and you're trying to get rid of it as soon as possible. Um, ideally, you want to be spending as much offensive zone time as possible, and you don't really want to be in a situation where you need those the um, those defenders to defend. Uh, and when you have the guys that they have where they are players who can jump into the play and help the forwards generate chances, that means that they're presumably less likely to 
be needed in that defensive way. Uh, and you can see that a bit in their underlying numbers. Like, if you look at them since the coaching change, they're 13th in the league in expected goals uh, against per hour, which is a pretty it's, it's a pretty solid rate. Uh, it puts them kind of in the mid-tier of the league, which is really where this defense is. They don't really have any uh, true Norris contenders, but there's there's depth there. They're their floor is better uh, suited to them than their than their their ceiling when looking at other contenders. Uh, the 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 thing for for them is going to be uh, when those nights go bad. Obviously, it's going to look really bad, and that's that's the reality of a risk reward uh, bet. Is a loss isn't going to just look like a two one. Uh, it just didn't quite work out kind of game. It's going to be those seven two blow ups, and it's going to make us yell and scream about whether uh, this whole operation works or not. And it means that when you look at the standings and sort by goals for and goals against, they're going to be high at both. Uh, the, at the end of the day, though, you're kind of looking for differential. And once you go into the playoffs, a lot of it just kind of comes into luck. It becomes a matter of which players hit high, um, hit hot shooting percentages right away, which uh, which goaltenders stand on their heads. Uh, it doesn't. It's not so much about uh, which defenses limit you to the fewest amount of shots uh, per game. It becomes it, it becomes w- what you get out of the puck at that time, and you can leverage that with top end guys. And I think that's what they're betting on: is that Anderson catches fire, uh, that their various offensive superstars catch fire in that time. And one can say. It's a risky bet, but at the same time, I'd rather do the high event system where you have seven goals on the table instead of three goals on the table uh, and bet on the fact that your team is more likely to generate uh, four than betting on whether or not they're more likely to generate two. Uh, it's that, and, I, and I think that's the risk that they're, they're going with. Again, not to say that any of this is, is perfect or that it's a guarantee to work, uh, but it is... In a weird way, that lack of safety is probably more safe in today's game, and I think you're going to see more teams move to that uh, in the future, as uncomfortable as it feels right now. I, I want to just be clear. I agree with you on that, and I, I want to be clear that when I say a tighter defense, I don't just mean stylistically. I, I mean just as far as keeping the puck out of the net. Um, yeah, fair. It's a, they need to, to have less red lights going on behind Freddie Anderson is what needs to happen there. And, and yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. As far as what the analytics tell you, um, is there a team that, that jumps out that really we should be looking at it that can make a run in, in the second, you know, it's more than halfway through the season, but the colloquially the second half after the All-Star break? I mean, if we're going to say all these things about Toronto and the Atlantic, you also have to look at a team like Tampa Bay who had that slow start mm-hmm. uh, to the season, and their shares are through the roof. Like they have in that same uh, in that same gap since the Leafs made their coaching change. Like it's you can point out that okay, well they have a fifty four percent expected goal share, and that's really really good. That puts them near the top class of the league, and fifty four is where teams two to five are. You look at Tampa Bay, and they're setting up at 58 like they're controlling their games and they're they're the same situation where they've got all this talent up and down the lineup and they they weren't getting saves to start the year and guys weren't hitting the net uh as well to start the year and that seems to kind of be turning a corner uh for for them of late i I, 
you guys know what uh, that team uh, has all the way up and down its lineup, so I don't need to kind of run you through it, but that's that that's who I'm looking at, and I think that's going to be the big threat in the Atlantic Division uh, over the next couple months, and it gives them a chance to get a bit of a redemption story after what happened in last year's playoffs. And Lightning have now... Uh past the Bruins and past everybody else in the league for that matter as far as goal differential is concerned as we speak uh, on Thursday morning they're at plus 38 and they are eight points behind the Bruins for the top of the division with three games in hand so it should be uh, quite a race to the Atlantic title and then um, maybe we'll see Boston Toronto yet again in the playoffs so that'll be something uh, we'll talk about that on the other side of the break we'll 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 be right back we've reached the the midway point of the show so that seems like a good Good place to stop. We'll talk a little bit more. Uh, Jeff Fayette from FaceOffCircle.ca. You're listening to Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. Joined today by Jeff Fayette from FaceOffCircle.ca. Um, Jeff, this is something we've been doing the the second half of the shows this season. Uh, just get get to know your experience a little better. Um, how how did you wind up being a hockey guy? Um, I think it's just always something that I've had a passion for since I was uh, a really young kid. Like uh, I come from a I come from a household where a lot of people have kind of been around the game, not necessarily in, but they've played uh, for their for for their entire lives. My dad was a huge, huge Leaf fan, um, and it, it it was always just something I was interested in, and I kind of carried that in uh, to my to my youth. So right come middle school, so I started getting more into like computers and web development and all that stuff. Uh, got myself some web hosting and started poking around trying to find a way to get rich quick off the internet, so to speak. And uh, none of that really worked, but the hosting was still there, so I was like, okay, well. I'm here. Uh, I know a few people on HF boards. Uh, if any, I'm sure people know of that site as the place where you find all the craziest trade proposals. Mm-hmm. I don't know how popular it is these days, but at its peak, it was huge. Uh, so I grabbed a bunch of people from there and said, okay, let's start a hockey blog, see how it goes. Uh, and it went good for a while. It was the original version of the face-off circle on a .net instead of a .ca, and we just kind of winged it. No one really realized that we were all extremely young i think i was 12 when i started and by the time it had peaked i was still only like 14 15 doing trade deadline updates from the high school uh library uh in 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 between break bathroom breaks and whatever uh sometimes not even necessarily having a a, a true update i just kind of winging it at times uh but uh it, it was a good intro and it kind of kind of got me involved into other parts of social media so uh i think one way that i really built that site up was by getting involved in if anyone remembers dig dig was uh basically reddit before reddit and uh i was able to become uh close to a lot of the power users on there who more or less influenced the front page so i was able to push a lot of the hockey contents uh on uh, on there to make that a bit of a community uh, I started up a YouTube channel where I was just posting uh, hockey highlights. So now these days, if you're trying to find anything from like 2007 to 2010, 2011, there's a very good chance that I'm the one who posted that video. And I was literally just uh, a kid in his bedroom with a $20 capture card bought from a used computer store and a really, really bad connection to a uh, to a cable box. But at the time, the NHL wasn't even 
uh, doing any of that stuff. So it became, I think, the biggest YouTube channel in Canada for a little while. Uh, and the Lee actually had approached me and started asking me questions until they found, found out I was a teenager on a $20 budget uh, and had a lot more questions uh, from there. And it's just kind of, yeah, it's just kind of grown. Like, there's never really been a set plan with this. It's always kind of, okay, well, this is what I'm interested in right now. And hockey is obviously always part of that interest. Uh, so it's so it's been a lot of bouncing around from, from writing for myself to writing for other companies uh, to now kind of working in hockey operations. I do analytics and scouting for a junior A team uh, up here in Toronto. Uh, and that's been a very interesting experience, and that's something that I might kind of shift myself more to as uh, as the media side of things uh, proves to be uh, a hard industry to uh, have a consistent role in. Uh, but I, at the end of the day, I'm just here because I love the game, and there's just so many different ways to uh, to show that and present that and be involved with it and uh, I couldn't really imagine in any other way it's really just an extension of uh, my youth instead of a direct uh, career plan but that's what it's become and I feel really grateful for that doing all of this online for so many years how have you seen that change and in what ways can it still improve I mean, especially as far as uh, the way that people deal with each other that's um, that's an that's a really interesting question. I think uh, I think a big thing is it's now a lot less of an enthusiast and niche community. Uh, it's the whole thing. The whole operations become a lot more mainstream. The average casual fan, so to speak, is around, and that's and that's not to um, go after casual fans. They're they are the the lifeblood of the of the sport, and I think any way that you get yourself into the game is fantastic. Uh, but it's uh, you're you're not just having these closed off kind of conversations with your friends anymore. It was very easy to kind of know everybody uh, doing all the content creation and, and and being in the comment sections and whatever uh, ten fifteen years ago. Uh, there's a lot of people who I still kind of interact with now who I knew from message boards and chat rooms and MSN messenger group chats. I guess this is an American podcast, so it would be more like a name chat. Uh, we were much more into MSN here. I'm not 100% sure how that came to be, but that was uh, that, that's Canada. We do things slightly differently. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of just the same people coming in and out into all these different spots and building all these different communities and trying to figure out what works, whereas now um, because of so the growth of social media, uh, it's it's everyone's in the conversation, be it Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, any, really anywhere uh, you want to go, uh, you can find uh, something to do with your favorite team, your favorite player, your favorite sport. Um, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of anonymity. Uh, so the, the people that you just have never spoken to before, or then you don't even really know uh, who they are, and they always have a, a lot to say. And that's that that can be good at times, but at times it means a lot of context is lost, or there's a little bit of extra aggression. Um, there's also a lot of people kind of coming into this now uh, who are looking at it as a, as a career uh, pathway. Uh, which for a lot of us it became that, but there's a lot of like attempts to replicate it, and it seems there's a lot more like calculated 
uh, talk where you're you're almost always selling. So there's people who are almost always selling a product or selling themselves in how they produce their work, and that makes um, discussing it or, or not necessarily criticizing it, but giving feedback a little more touchy. Uh, mm-hmm. there, 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 there's just you kind of have to be a lot more um, careful and you have to pay a lot more attention. You have to really take take in all the nuance and context of every conversation now, which, again, isn't bad. It's just different. Uh, it's no longer that kind of enthusiast pocket working together. And now it's the entire community at large. You get to fo- fully see the scope of the game uh, within the, the Internet community now. You got into this because you were an enthusiast and so into it. Um is that still there for you both for, first for hockey but also for the Leafs? Uh yeah, I'd say so. Um the the Leafs was very touch and go because well the team was very touch and go for a lot of that time. So keep in mind I would have been twelve years old, so two thousand four, two thousand five ish is when I started getting more involved right around the full season lockout. And of course the Leafs had had a long stretch of not like not championship success, obviously. I'm sure there's like 500 people listening to this right now screaming 1967 into their microphones and that's probably deserved uh but uh the the team was competitive and you they were something to cheer for so for several of those years you kind of lose faith in it and kind of not have the same interest because they're they're what, what are you cheering for it's not a particularly good team the most in, the most exciting part of watching a leaf game from 2009 to 2015 or so was watching the other team and that 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 had its benefits like that also made you uh, a bigger fan of the rest of the game you got to understand who the stars were and it made you uh, more likely to go turn on another team's game because you watched uh, an Ovechkin or a Danny Heatley or a Marian Hossa just like beat the crap out of the Leafs and it got you uh, got you interested in what else they, they, they were doing so I think over time absolutely the, the passion of the game still stays it's if anything more so than ever I find myself on the ice more often because uh, it's a I'm always involved and that's that becomes almost a distraction from having to to do the work side of it I think I think if anything the the sense of burnout might be from uh, if there is any is probably on the the working end of it like having to go through the writing process and content process Uh, but the game stays the same and the Leafs it, it, it faded a bit with time I think my low point in interest was right after they had traded Phil Castle uh, just because I was a huge huge fan of his here and obviously um, continue to be a fan of his in Pittsburgh and now in Arizona uh, but with the team they have now that's uh, the, it's it's there again it's not like I don't feel myself a diehard fan or whatever like I have my brother um, next door next door to me who's uh, the exact opposite. He didn't really get into the team until uh, until that point, but now he's gone from like having no interest in hockey to being the guy who will put on a mask and a jersey and go to a whole bunch of games every year and get super into it. And I love that he's uh, that way, whereas for me it's more, I think, of an appreciation more so than a diehard fandom. Uh, but it, it, I don't think that ever kind of goes away. Like the, the game has just been so much of my life uh, from a very young age, and I don't see a situation where I would ever lose that connection. As you see it for the Leafs, and I said that we would get back to this, um, is it better for them to face the Bruins 
yet again and finally have to vanquish them sort of the way with the that we saw with the the capitals when they finally you know knocked off pittsburgh and then it was uh sailing from there or you know is it better off if uh if they maybe get to go around boston and you know face the lightning in the first round or face the panthers in the first round or something like that i think i'd rather face boston uh and it doesn't really have anything to do with exercising demons uh not that there isn't anything to that like uh obviously i just mentioned a lot of my leafs fandom there but i also grew up cheering for the vancouver canucks uh it was a huge pavel Bure fan marcus naslin roberto luongo the Sedins, etc etc so when they vanquished chicago it was a huge deal i think my biggest moment as a hockey fan uh period was probably the burroughs goal i think i ran out of my house Mm -hmm. uh in excitement uh for for that and it was a late night overtime game here um so i get that aspect of it but i think for me it's just i don't think the 17 and 18 or the 18 and 19 sorry uh series against boston were were dead in the water i think they were both very easily winnable they were both they were both series where they went to game seven and had the lead going into the third period pardon I see. Yeah, you go to Game Seven. It's, it's oh, ab- up for grabs. Ab- absolutely. Um, and not only did they go to Game Seven, it's like you wa- if you were watching those series from the scope of knowing uh, what the coaching staff's weaknesses were, what the team's uh, roster weaknesses were. Uh, there was just a total lack of adjustment. There was uh, a very, very, very predictable breakout uh, on Toronto's end that Boston seemed almost like in shock that they were able to exploit every time because they knew that the left side defenseman was going to move the puck and the right side defenseman was going to chip it. Uh, made it very easy for them to go on the counter the whole time. So when you're basically playing at a disadvantage and essentially you you don't have like your home ice advantage because you know uh the other coach knows what line you're going to send out anyway you almost always have uh last change you keep all these things in mind and it's like they should have i don't want to say easily won those series because the bruins are a great team with one of the arguably the best line of our generation and a very strong goaltender so it's never going to be easy but those were winnable like they were there was no question in my mind that if they had the uh, if they had executed uh, a better plan that they win those series more often than not and i think you can almost argue that even if they don't you just re-roll them again there's a good chance that they win them regardless just because of how close they were uh so to me boston's not this big unbeatable beast and i don't think boston's fans or their teams see themselves really is that when compared to the Leafs either they're obviously thrilled when they win but like you hear in Toronto people talk about how tough and mean and uh, imposing they are and then you go and flip on uh, a Boston video or radio segment or whatever and everyone's talking about how it's oh this team is nowhere near as tough as it used to be and we're not as good as we used to be outside of a couple players like they they see themselves as less of a team than I think people in Toronto uh, see them even last season when they had David Backus out of a couple of the games because they like Bruce Cassidy was flat out he he just couldn't skate with the Leafs and they needed to to make sure that they had some speed like they were they were the ones who had to 
make a counter plan to Toronto and Toronto just didn't counter back. I'd much rather have another go at them with a, with a coach who seems to understand uh, the adjustments with a roster that seems to be better built for taking advantage of a team like, uh, like them. There's no guarantee that you beat them. And obviously it's going to sting if you lose to them for a third time in a row, but they seem to be the better bet to face. I'd rather face them than a team that's just uh, that's similarly built and arguably better built in Tampa Bay for sure. I, as a hockey fan, I want to see it again too. Um, just they've played two magnificent series, and uh, a third would be really cool. So we'll see what happens uh, after the All Star break. Hope everybody has a great All Star break and enjoys uh, enjoys that. So, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Right, Jeff Ayed, everybody, go check out FaceOffCircle.ca and. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jesse Spector. This has been Jesse Spector Is on Lightning Power Play, and we'll see you next time.